You know, um, generally speaking, I think that most people would agree uh, that, that we currently live in a pretty sad world, you know. Um, we live in the midst of, of society and a culture that is pretty heavy on disappointment, on uh, dissatisfaction, you know, disillusionment, uh, and depression in, in many different ways and on many different levels, um, from the global scale down to the local scale here. Uh, but right along with those, those feelings, which, I, again, I think we all could agree with uh, that are there, that's true, Right along with those feelings, though, there is also um, a shared longing, a shared longing for lasting happiness and, and meaning, meaning to life. Unfortunately, though, it's safe to say that the majority of people, the majority of people in our society, uh, don't find and experience the lasting happiness uh, or the fulfillment that they do long for and, and search for. Most people in one way or another, would probably define happiness as an attitude or a feeling of, of overall satisfaction and contentment or uh, a bright, positive outlook uh, on life in general. And they would say that probably these things would be based on positive circumstances surrounding them and the different affairs of their life. You know, I mean, I, I think that's probably a working definition of happiness in most people's mind, and, and that's probably a viewpoint that many people share. The major problem with that reasoning or that point of view is that circumstances cannot be planned. You know, circumstances cannot be planned, uh, they can't be programmed, they can't be predicted, and they certainly cannot be guaranteed. Uh, how many times have you made plans and, and you have it all you know, stretched out and you know exactly what you're going to do, where you're going to be, how you're going to do it, and, and it, something happens, something comes along the way, and it totally derails that. Right? We all know what that's like. usually happens around something good. It happens around vacation you know, or around a birthday or around Christmas or something like that. Um, you know, someone gets a broken leg or, or there, there's, there's something else that takes place. Um, last year on our vacation time as we were coming home, we thought, you know, we'd be home at a certain time and we really needed to be home at a certain time. And that's the key, isn't it, right there? When you need to be somewhere at a certain place and a certain time. And uh, we were leaving vacation and our car overheated. And it really overheated. I mean, like steam pouring out of, of everywhere. And, uh, and it was a, a Sunday, I think it was, wasn't it? Or was it a Saturday? Yeah. And so not many places are, are open on a Saturday, you know, like that, garages, mechanics. And uh, so we were, we were wondering what in the world we were going to do. And so we managed, long story short, we managed to stretch a uh, five-hour trip into a uh, 48-hour trip. And uh, that's because circumstances can't be guaranteed, you know? We didn't expect to, to be out in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in a hotel that we may or may not have survived the night in uh, because of circumstances changing. So circumstances can't be guaranteed. They can't be banked on. They just can't. Um, so if, if true lasting happiness can really only be fully experienced if and when circumstances are favorable, 
You know, if, if happiness is dependent on circumstances uh, being and, and remaining a certain way, then it will always be uncertain. Happiness will always be uncertain if that's the case. It will always be slippery. It will always be constantly, constantly subject to change. If that's what happiness is dependent on, circumstance and, and things going the right way and being the right way. And the reason that is so discouraging to so many people, that pursuit of happiness, is that everyone wants real, lasting joy. Everybody wants that. I mean, there is not a single human being that doesn't, at a very deep level, want to know lasting joy and happiness. But, but many people end up settling rather than trying to figure out how they can really receive joy and, and how to hold on to it, uh, they end up settling for fleeting happiness, for temporary happiness. And when people can't seem to even find that, you know, when, when people can't seem to even find temporary happiness, they self-destruct. They self-destruct. We're seeing that all over the place. We see that everywhere we look. We see that in the entertainment industry. We see that in the sports industry. We see that in the news. We see it on the, on the, the political scale. And maybe, just maybe, you're here today, and that either is true of you right now, or it certainly has been true of you at a certain point in your life. Where you were, you were like everybody else, you wanted to find happiness, you, you were chasing it, you were pursuing it, and you wanted it to last and to be real, but no matter what you did, no matter where you looked for it, you just couldn't seem to find it, or if you found it, you couldn't hold on to it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure that you have been there, maybe you are there, and if you're not there right now or haven't been, certainly you have people in your life, you have people you're connected to that that describes, right? The searching for happiness that just can't seem to end. Or once they find a certain version or a type of happiness, they can't hold on to it, and then they spiral out of control. We all know what that's like. We all know people that are going through that, that that describes their whole way of life, and it's depressing. It's sad. Well, all this makes it extremely important to understand the key fundamental differences between a surface or external happiness and a real lasting joy. And there really is a major difference. It's important to understand that. So, so let me share that with you. Hopefully you have a handout that you received when you came in, message notes. And I just want to hear at first cover just what those differences are between happiness as typically defined, and what real joy is, the differences there. Happiness, happiness is driven by circumstance. Happiness is driven by circumstance and emotion. Happiness is driven by circumstance and emotion. Um, you know, it, it depends on things going right, things being a certain way, or you feeling a certain way. You feeling right. You know, that, that feeling of happiness. An emotional response. 
And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please understand, I'm not saying that, that the feeling of happiness is something to, to not ever uh, look for or search for or try to, to have, that, that happiness in that sense and in an emotional way is bad or wrong. No, not at all. There's nothing wrong with feeling happy. That's good. The key, though, is not to depend on that. You don't want to anchor yourself to that emotion, to the, the emotional component of happiness. Why? Because emotion comes and goes. It waxes and wanes. You know, it, it's up and it's down. Uh, we were just at the beach, and, and it was so uh, funny to see Aiden because he, he loved to look at the ocean from afar, but if you brought him down to the edge, even where it was anywhere close to his feet touching, he, he freaked out because he saw the waves coming up. And when it went away, he was, he was like, oh, good. Uh, th- th- just keep it that way. You know, I'm fine looking at it. But then you know, they'd come back and we would have fun with him because we'd dip him down and, he'd, ah, and he'd, he'd seize up. And the waves came and they left and they came and they left. That's exactly how emotion always is. It's always coming and going. It's always changing. I mean, within seconds, you know what I'm talking about. You can, you can be as happy as you can be and then you hear or you see something or you're reminded of something. Something happens coming in on you that instantly changes how you feel, right? We're all like that to some degree. Some are much more emotional than others. Don't elbow your spouse, please. Um, Some are more emotional than others, but everyone is emotional. Let's just clear that. Everyone is emotional. We're all emotional creatures. We're all emotional beings, men, women, children, doesn't matter. And so when we base our reality, or we base our perspective, our perception on an emotional thing that's so volatile, we're setting ourselves up for trouble. We're setting ourselves up for problems. And that's not what true joy is all about. Joy, to contrast, that's happiness driven by circumstance and emotion, but joy is anchored to God and the gospel. Joy is anchored to God and the gospel. That's, that's where joy really comes from. That's what joy is really tied to. Joy in the real sense. Joy in the biblical sense. The difference between external emotional happiness and, and real, lasting, permanent joy is that. That joy is anchored to God and the gospel. And my friends, that, that will never change. That will never deteriorate. God... And the gospel that God has provided, the good news of Jesus Christ, that will never be altered. That will never fade. It will never diminish in power or effectiveness. It will never cease to be relevant and practical and needed. God and the gospel is what anchors real joy. And so if we will believe that, if we will choose to have that as our perspective, if we will pursue that thinking and that point of view... Then, then here's what will happen. Joy will come into focus. Because joy comes into focus as we focus on the gospel. Joy comes into focus in our lives as we choose to focus on the gospel. That's how it works. It's like uh, the 3D glasses at, at, a, at a 3D movie. Have you ever um, taken the glasses off for, for whatever reason briefly when you're in the 3D movie? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? What, what's the screen like? What does it look like in there when you take your glasses off? Yeah, it's really blurry. It's really distorted. Cormie knows what I'm talking about. Cormie's a big 3D moviegoer, right? 
Love it, love it. Yeah, it, it's distorted. You just, it, it, it's like you know, you're in some weird uh, watery place or something. It, it's just not, it's not clear, it's not sharp. Why? Because you need the 3D glasses to bring everything into focus. What you're looking at is distorted unless you have the right materials, unless you have the right tools you're looking through, unless you have the right lenses. Those of you who aren't in 3D, into 3D movies, it's like those annoying eye exams. Better here, better now. Better this way, better that way. Better now, better, better now. And at the end of the day, you're just like, it all looks great, it's fine. You know, all those, those different things that messes with you, and everything starts to look the same. But it, it's like that. It's like, it's like things aren't quite what they need to be. It's not as sharp as it could be. It's not really the best picture until you look through the lens of the gospel, then it comes into focus. Joy comes into focus as we focus on the gospel. That's always going to be true. And what I mean by that is that as we choose to let our perspective, and that's key, as we choose to let our perspective shift away from our circumstances... And and we choose instead to put them onto the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that there is a God who made us, who loves us, who pursued us, even though we don't pursue him, to the point of coming to this earth, taking on humanity, adding that onto his perfect divinity, all for the point and the purpose of going to the cross where he took your sin and my sin and our shame on himself, and in exchange, he gave us forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we will shift our perspective away from circumstance, as temporary and fleeting as that is, and we put it instead on the gospel, that truth, then joy, real joy, begins to fill our hearts and our minds rather than the anxiety and depression connected to negative or bad circumstances. And isn't that what we all want? I mean, don't you want that? Of course you do. Everybody wants to be able to be free from anxiety ruling your, your mind and depression from, from setting up in your heart. Nobody wants that. It's exhausting. It's defeating. That's why those without the truth and reality of Christ turn to everything they turn to. That's why addiction is at unparalleled levels. That's why marriages fall apart. That's why children don't have parents in their home. It all comes back to people trying to medicate the, the issues that we all at some point deal with. And when we medicate and, and we try to channel it away somehow into other things that don't really overpower those struggles, we're never going to find a way out. It's only in the perspective that the gospel alone provides. You know, my, my dad right now is a, Ed Chesley. He's a great living example of this kind of choosing of perspectives to me. You know, we're all daily pained with the loss of my mother. Not a day goes by where we don't feel that intensely. But no matter how painful it is for me or for my wife or our kids, that is magnified by about 10 times with my dad. Because that was his wife, 43 years. And there are days where he just about can't do anything. The pain is so real, the grief is so intense, just about cripples him. But you know what mostly is true of my dad? I'm just bragging on him here. 
What is mostly true is that he still serves his Savior. He still loves other people. He calls other people and asks how they're doing. How can I pray for them? He checks in on his neighbors. He teaches teens at his church. He leads music. He attends deacons meetings. He will, as he's able to, help us if we need an extra hand on something. My point is, my dad is someone who I'm looking at, and I'm seeing this lived out. I'm seeing someone who says, yes, I could be totally defeated and drowned in depression and discouragement and loss right now. He, I mean, easily, easily could do that. And, and not many people would fault him for that. We would say, hey, we get it. Makes sense. Understand. But rather than that, he is choosing to fight, and he's not fighting with with means that don't really matter. He's not fighting with things that won't actually bring victory. He's fighting with the truth and the power of the gospel, the unchanging hope and joy that the gospel provides. And it's beautiful to see. He preaches to a lot of people without ever opening his mouth. And that's that's just one example. But it's that kind of thing that we all can choose to pursue. We all can choose to have that mindset, that, that attitude. Because the source of joy, the source of joy is tied to no, no other thing really other than Jesus Christ. He is the source of joy, and the gospel of Jesus. Well, other than my dad, there's another great example, another human being. It's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul serves as a great, a great example of someone who understands the power of proper perspective. And in the first chapter of his letter to the Philippian church, uh, if we will go a little deeper and unpack what is said there, we get a pretty clear picture of what the source of joy really is. And that's something that both Paul and the Philippian church, the Philippian Christians they wrote to, obviously were connected to. They were connected to the source of joy. It's very clear. And you know, that's what I want to be true of us today, too, and every day. That's what I want to be true of this church. That's what I want to be true of me and my family. That's what I want to be true of your family. That's what I want to be true of this ministry, that we are connected to the source of joy, that we know what it is, that we believe it, that we we pursue it, that we cling to it and embrace it no matter what, because no matter what, it will always preserve and maintain and sustain us. So with that in mind, if you have your copy of God's Word, whether digital or or bound, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. And on your handout, uh, it says verses 1 through 7, but that's really verses 3 through 7. I'm sorry for that mistake. Uh, What you have on your handout is is verses 3 through 7. But I am going to cover 1 through 7. And so we'll just pick up right there in verse 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I love how he starts off with that. Because here's Paul, and here's Timothy, who were giants in the early church, if you will. They were were strong, well-known, well-loved, high-impacting servants of God and leaders in the church. And, you know, Paul could have said, this letter is from Paul the Apostle. You know, could have said that. This is letters from Timothy, my protege. He didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't throw credentials in people's face. Instead, he said, this letter's from Paul and Timothy, and you know what we are? We're just slaves. 
We're just slaves of Christ. There's nothing in and of ourselves that is worth getting excited about. We're not really that important. There's nothing special about us. Don't look at us. Don't lift us up. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. And that's what we all need to have as a mindset, church. We all need to reckon ourselves as just slaves of the Savior who died for us. Totally available and open to him whenever, however, whatever he wants to use us for. Yes, sir, here I am. That's the attitude we need to have as well. Slaves of Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Little, little side note here, you'll never have peace apart from grace. You'll never have peace in your life, peace in your heart, peace in your mind without the grace of God giving it to you. Sometimes we get the cart before the horse on that. We, we, we search for peace and we want peace when, when we haven't laid hold, we haven't taken hold of the grace of Christ. It's only the grace of Christ that gives us peace. It's always true. It's always true. And it always comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Then verse 3 says, Every time I think of you, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, just seeing that phrase right here, it doesn't really seem that impacting. But it really is very significant if we will think about what we know about how the Philippian church came to be. This letter that Paul is writing, this is actually about 10 years after he started the church in Philippi. Okay? And when he started the church in Philippi, how that came about, it was not exactly under the best of circumstances. You know, Paul came over to Macedonia, to the area of Greece where Philippi is, and, and he's going around the town and, and he's seeing different things happening. He, he finds this, this group of women meeting outside the town. It was this rich lady named Lydia. And she was a Greek that converted to the Jewish religion, Judaism, but she was not a believer yet. So he finds her and these other women, and apparently there's not enough men even to take leadership to form a synagogue for the Jewish believers. And so he starts talking to them and answering questions. He does a lot, really, of what Sarah does. He just kind of meets them where they're at, and they, they just start engaging one another in dialogue and in conversation and in questions. And, and out of that, Lydia becomes a believer. And she's apparently a woman of some means. And so she ends up being instrumental in the, the gathering of this new church that's going to happen, and they, they meet in her home. But it wasn't all happy, good things there. Again, it's not always about circumstances, and, and that good circumstance quickly gave way to bad circumstance because as Paul is there and he's teaching and he's talking to people, some people uh, get a little upset and they get really upset when there's this slave girl who these owners have and, and she's actually possessed by demonic spirits. She's able to tell the future and, and, and show people visions and things. And she, she goes around and she start, she's following Paul and Silas and she's saying, These men are heralds of the Most High God. Heed them, listen to them. And, and she's just following them around everywhere that she goes. And it's becoming this huge distraction for Paul teaching and speaking. And it's just weighing on him. So finally, he turns to her and he says, In the name of Jesus, I command you, Spirit, to leave her. Poof, it's gone. And she can't tell the fortune anymore. So her owners are like, What, what in the world are you doing? 
You know, there goes our cash cow. There goes our income. We were making a pretty good living on this, this sideshow that we had going on. What do you think you're doing? So they start complaining. They get people upset. They take them before the court. Paul and Silas get beaten really badly, and they get thrown in jail, even though they're Roman citizens. Well, while they're in jail, and the jail there is not anything like the jails we have here. I mean, you know, we think jail, oh, it's bad, and it is. But nothing like what was in the day of, of Paul. The jails there were basically sewers, and they were tied to each other, and they were, they were tied centrally to a post. And, and you get the picture of what happens there among people where there's no other facilities to use and that kind of thing. I, I won't go into all the detail, but it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Well... Rather than being discouraged and upset about it, Paul and Silas, they start singing hymns. I mean, I mean who does that, right? Man, you're in jail. You're, you're not usually happy. You're not typically happy. You're not singing. You are, though, if you have the joy of Christ anchoring your whole life. If your happiness is not dependent on circumstances and it's rooted to the joy, the source of joy that is Jesus, then, yeah, you're able to do things like that that make everybody look at you like a freak, Right? You're able to do that. You're able to be a little weird. Well, long story short, when an earthquake happened and the jail's thrown open and, and, and chains fall off and the prisoners are, are possibly going to be able to escape and the jailer comes in and he doesn't see his prisoners, he's getting ready to kill himself. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. You're all here? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you escape? And they're all there. And this jailer's just overcome with the kindness of Paul and the fact that he cared enough about his life to not escape because that would mean... <coughs> and he says, you're obviously on you're, you're onto something that I need to have. You know, What is it that makes you so different? What can I do to have what you have? How can I be saved? And Paul ends up leading this jailer to Christ and ultimately his entire household. And long story short, that's how the church of Philippi started. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? But think about what had to happen. They were ridiculed. They were mocked. They were beaten badly. They were thrown in jail without any type of trial. And ultimately, they were asked to leave the town and never come back. So, you know, if I'm Paul, knowing my humanity, it would be really hard for me to, to look back on that, on that group of people and on that church plant and have a lot of fond memories. You know, like I would probably, especially if it's a bad day, I'd be thinking about the beating that I got. I'd be thinking about being arrested. I'd be thinking about being put in jail. But, but Paul, what he's saying here is, every time I think of you, you Philippians, you people that I ministered to 10 years ago, every time I think of this church, I just give thanks to God. Why? Because his focus, his perspective was tied not to the circumstances that were negative. His focus was tied to what God did in that place and the gospel that came into the people's lives. See, Paul was rooted, fixed, anchored to the gospel, and that gave him joy. Well, let's keep going. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. There's the word, with joy. Now, that is also amazing to me, considering the circumstances that were taking place in Paul's life at the time he was writing this. Because guess where he was? He was in jail again, this time in Rome. And he didn't know what it was going to end up like because Nero was in power. And anybody who even knows a little bit of history knows Nero was not a, not a good guy. wasn't a nice guy. He, he, he didn't have it all together. He was pretty much nuts. 
and add the added bonus of hating Christians, hating Christianity. So here's Paul. He's there in, under, under house arrest. He's chained, literally chained to a guard that just revolve, that, that follows him and circles him all day long, chained to a guard. New shift comes in. They get chained to him just like the other one. He doesn't have really much freedom. I mean, he can entertain guests and he's able to speak to them, and he does. He speaks to everybody who comes in, everybody who listens, and, and we actually know he speaks to the entire Roman guard about the gospel. He seizes his opportunities, but he's monitored, he's controlled, he's restricted, and he's really just waiting. He waited for two years there in that situation to f- find out what his fate was going to be. Was it going to be death? Was he going to be released? He was released. But at the time of this writing of Philippians, he is in that situation under Roman guard, a future very uncertain, didn't know what was going to happen, under the, under the, the mercies of, of a crazy, maniacal leader. And yet he says, every time I pray, I make requests for you with joy, with joy. How? Paul, you're chained to a Roman guard. You're under house arrest. You're being persecuted. You're being mocked and ridiculed by others who have followed you before. They're saying, oh, look where Paul's faith got him. How do you have joy, Paul? And he'd say, because it's not tied to circumstance. Because my joy is not dependent on environment. Because my happiness is not limited to emotion. He'd say, because I know Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that's where my hope is, and that's the source of my joy. Is that the source of your joy? What drives your joy? What defines your joy? Is it the right person in political office? The right party in control? The right amount of money in your bank account? You know, the right job, the right house, the right area in which you live? Is that what you're searching for? If so, my friend, you'll always be searching. Always looking, never finding. Because joy is rooted and anchored and manifested and sustained in and by Jesus Christ alone. Well, let's keep going. He says, I I make my request for all of you with joy. Why? For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Paul there is saying, you know, you're with me in this. You're my co-laborers. I'm encouraged by you because you're my partners in the gospel. Not only do you have the gospel in your lives, it's so evident, it's so obvious. I know God placed that in you. I know he began a great work in your life, and I know he's going to complete it. But not only is it, is it something you have inside you, you live it out, Philippians, and that, that gives me joy. You live it out and you proclaim it. You work in the gospel alongside me, and that just fills me with joy. Then in Philippians 1.27, at the end of this first chapter, Paul says this, Above all, in other words, the, the end of the matter, the, you know, the most important thing, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. 
conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. What that means, church, what it means for us, just as it meant for them, what really is being said here is that what God desires for both us individually, you know, me and you, what he desires for us both individually and as a church together, what God desires is that as a result of being focused on the gospel and passionate about it, that, that not only would we experience lasting joy in our own lives, but that we would also be sources of joy and encouragement for one another as we work together in living out and proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. See, he, he, God wants us to possess the freedom and power of the gospel and to, to have the joy that that brings he wants that for you, and he wants that for me. He wants that to, to be what defines and drives us individually. But he wants it also to be manifested in us as a church. And he wants us to take each other's hand and, and, and be together, united, in the work and the service of the gospel. I'm encouraging you. You're encouraging me. I'm, I'm edifying you. You're edifying me. I'm lifting you up. You're left, lifting me up. And together, we're living out and proclaiming the gospel that we believe and are anchored to, to the world around us that is not. That's what God desires. That's what was true of the Philippian church. And that's why Paul was so encouraged, no matter what, even though he was in yet another jail cell. That's why he was able to write with joy and pray with joy and speak with joy. That's what God wants for us as well. What this all means is that an inner focus on the gospel combined with passion for living it out and proclaiming it, will always, always result in real, lasting joy. An inner focus on the gospel combined with passion for living it out and proclaiming it will always result in real, lasting joy. And don't you want that? Don't you want real, lasting joy? Of course you do. We all do. That's where it's found. That's how it's kept up. No other source. No other way. You believe that? Few of you do. <laughs> Let's pray together. Everybody in an attitude of prayer, no one looking around, nobody talking. Let's just be, be reflective here for a minute. You know, um, all of this that I've, I've talked about as we started this series today, the power of perspective. This joy that I'm talking about, that Paul talked about, sounds simple, but it's so profoundly true that it is only possible, it's only available in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not going to have this abiding joy simply by knowing about Jesus or knowing who he is intellectually simply by recognizing him historically. No, it has to go deeper than that. You have to come to the place and the point where you personally, completely surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
where you commit your entire being, your whole agenda, your entire life, you commit it to him and you embrace him as the only savior of your life. That's the only way you're going to experience this kind of joy that Paul had and that I've been talking about. So I want to give you that opportunity. Is there anyone at all, doesn't matter if you've been here 20 years or this is your first time, doesn't matter if you know a lot about the Bible or a little, if this is true of you that you have not committed your life to this Jesus, to the Savior of the world, to the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is not yours, I'd love to pray and talk with you about that. Is there anyone who would say, that's me, I don't know Jesus, he is not my Savior, but I want this kind of joy, I want a relationship with him, anyone at all? Anybody? Okay? Then let me ask you this, my brother and sister in the Lord. You're saved, you're walking with Christ, but maybe, just maybe, your focus has been off of Him and it's been really on circumstance. I mean, you've been allowing yourself to be ruled and governed and tossed back and forth from circumstance and emotion, just like the waves of the sea, and you're tired of it. You know that's not where joy is found. And, and for whatever reason, your joy is just being robbed. And you're tired of it. You're done. I'd love to pray for you that, that you will choose to embrace the joy that is yours in Christ. And that by the power of the Spirit of God, he will rule over that area of your life and give you that joy and that victory. Is there anyone who would say, that's me? Pray for me in that way. Anyone at all? Thank you for your honesty. Amen. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the relevance of it, the power of it. I pray that we would all, like Paul, choose to have the perspective of joy. That we would all remember the source of joy and that we would be connected to it, which is Jesus Christ and him alone. Thank you for your son. Thank you for giving us life and love and freedom and hope and joy in him. I pray for those that raise their hands saying, yes, I am a Christian, I know I am, but I have been distracted. I have allowed myself to be governed by circumstance or emotion rather than anchoring myself to the source of joy, and I want that to change. Father, you know what's on their heart, you know what's on their mind. I pray by your Spirit that you would provide them the joy that is already theirs in Christ. Help us all to remember that and to choose to be anchored to it. I ask all of this in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen.